Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... Winter Beast. Hello, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am good. You know, last uh, episode, I was on vacation beforehand, so I didn't really watch a lot of movies. So I made up for it this time by watching like a dozen movies since we last talked. Can't wait to hear about them. Well, I'm not going to go through all a dozen of them. Hit the mute button here. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure I watched more than you. So I'm just going to jump in with uh, a fun little double feature that we did. Not in order. But uh, we watch Alien and Aliens. Oh, classics. Yeah. yeah. So I've seen them multiple times, but just going back and watching them again. The This time we watched the director's cuts of each. I didn't really notice that much different, except there's extra scene in the Ridley Scott version of Alien that was not there last time I watched it. So I guess that's the one edition. What was um, it? I mean, so here's the thing with me and Alien and Aliens. I love them, but I rarely watch them. Mm -hmm. I came to Alien later in life. Mm -hmm. So So there's a scene uh, in Alien where Dallas, the the captain, is after he gets taken away by the alien. uh, Ripley finds him in the cocoon. Mm -hmm. uh, All like, you know, barely alive. And he he whispers... uh, kill me, kill me. So she uh, hits him with a flamethrower. This is during her escape. So it doesn't really uh, detract or add too much. It's just a cool little scene that I guess Ridley Scott wanted to put back in. That's cool. So these are two five-star movies. Not much to say about them. I think that the production design is incredible on Alien. Uh, The setting of tone and just this lived-in sci-fi ship. Um, and the big thing though, that I thought of this was before Sigourney Weaver was famous. Could you imagine watching this in 1979, not knowing who Sigourney Weaver was and that she was going to turn out to be the main character? She's not, she's not really a main character at all for the first hour. She's just like kind of one of the crew, you know? Yeah. That's really, it's, it's just really cool. I wish I was able to watch it back then not knowing what I know now, you know, that would be super cool. Yeah. And then of course the second one aliens is just, uh, an incredible action film, you know, James Cameron at the top of his game as, as usual. <laughs> as you, yeah. All the way up until about 1997. <laughs> All right. Something, well. something happened around there and it just, uh, he hasn't been the same since. Well, Someone said his career really sank. <laughs> oh god <laughs> well on that note oh man i don't think i can come back and defend james cameron after that comment that was really good probably not probably not <laughs> i also watched a a director whose career really sank uh a little later in 1999 um mm. i hate myself so i decided to give myself a very extensive project I'm okay. trying to be a little healthier. I need mo- uh, motivation to go on the treadmill. 
and I started watching Ahsoka, which is phenomenal. Um, I know this isn't a TV podcast. It's the new Star Wars. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, you know, TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new episode I'm going to watch pretty much right after this. But uh, I've heard so many good things about all of the animated series. And I'm like, you know what? You're an idiot. Why don't you just try to watch all of Star Wars in order? Okay. I'm about okay. halfway through The Phantom Menace, and I'm already regretting my decision. You know, I watch it for about half an hour at a time when I go on the treadmill or, you know, do some exercise or whatever. Right. It is just brutally bad. Who makes what is ostensibly a kid's movie with Jar Jar Binks? About <laughs> a trade dispute? Like, this is not new ground, but I'm just watching it, and I'm continually, like, my mind is just blown about how bad things can be mm-hmm. when nobody will tell the writer, producer, director, creator, no. Right. And if you read about the creation of the original Star Wars, he had terrible ideas for some of those movies Mm -hmm. and people said no george why don't you do this like famously his wife was telling him george this is terrible do this instead (laughs) and he would do it and they made what became star wars Mm -hmm. and then just out of control out of control it's so (laughs) bad it's painful to watch yeah, it's, it's I like it. <laughs> so this is the first one. You're going chronological order. I'm going, yeah, uh, in in well, chronological in universe order. In universe, yes. So uh, this reminds me of something I always thought about when I always think it when a director like comes on the scene and has like a big hit, their first movie, and then the second movie I think is like the real proving ground of like is that can that director really make another movie? Because that's the movie where just like George Lucas, you're saying they basically let the director do whatever they want. They have one big hit. Now you can do whatever you like. And then it either is going to sink or it's going to show that the person has some talent. And yeah. Um, George Lucas directed the original star Wars, but not empire. And did he direct return of Jedi? I honestly am a bad podcaster because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, I mean, he ran the whole thing. He was a producer. Yeah, obviously, yeah. He, he had massive, massive input and control over these films. Oh, definitely. Um, you even look at something like Indiana Jones, where originally uh, Marion was supposed to be a 13 year old girl. <laughs> yes. And you're just I... like, what was he thinking? And thank God either Spielberg or another producer or somebody said no. So I actually read the transcript, which is a good read of Raiders are a lost Ark brainstorming session between George Lucas, Steven Spielberg and the writer where they're just brainstorming ideas about the characters before they had any movie. And yeah, that's where the 13 year old girl thing comes up. And I will say that in their defense, they're just spitballing lot, lots of random ideas. That was just one of them. That's really interesting because that's the the thing I'd heard was that that was uh, George's like fleshed out idea. So yeah, I'm glad I mean, that, that doesn't appear to be true. Maybe. Well, he probably he did. I don't remember who pitched it. Let's just I'm assu- I'll assume he pitched it to everybody. Like that was his idea. But there was a lot of d- ideas that were thrown around, and then the the writer of the screenplay, I can't remember his name was going to take all those those ideas and kind of draft out the story. Yeah. So 
I, I definitely recommend uh, reading that transcript. You can find it online. The writer was uh, Philip Kaufman and Lawrence Kasdan. I'm not sure who was in that session, though. But it's a good read. Maybe yeah, it'll just... uh, give you more insight into Mr. Lucas. I feel like once I'm past the Clone Wars, it's going to be a much more fun project because that's when they start like the animated series that fills in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. The big thing with Star Wars, um, and I know I'm much more of a fan than you, they're yes. making really good TV mm-hmm. that I don't know how long ago this was planned out, but it basically seems like an attempt to make the sequel trilogy suck less. And it's, <laughs> relatively successful but it's still you're watching it and you're like why weren't these just the movies you made what is this weird choice that you made to like skip over all of these cool events that led to the fall of the new republic you're just like now we're not going to do that we're going to remake episode four as episode seven and then have the massive shit show that was episode eight (laughs) <laughs> and then do episode nine, which is just an abomination of a film. Like what? Why? Why? I don't. Uh, I don't understand. Yeah, it, there was no guiding hand uh, for that final trilogy. That's what I'll say. No one. Each movie was not made with, with knowing what the next movie was going to be. They just, you know, made one movie and then had someone make a second movie and then someone make a third movie. But they had they didn't like have a meeting where they yeah, talk. There's no about cohesive, what, like yeah. <laughs> even big plot points or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we want the second one to be. This is what right. we want the first one. There was no cohesive vision. Right. Which is why I'm so excited for avatar three, four and five <laughs> to bring it back around because James Cameron had uh, a long time writing you know, with the writers, all five movies, all four movies after the first one. So that like, they're already all fleshed out. So by the time he started making number two, (laughs) by the time he started making number two, we already knew how this whole thing was going to end. So do you think he's going to make it? I mean, (laughs) I think he, I think he's, I think he's a healthy guy. I think he'll be fine. Although he keeps pushing back the movies. Who knows? Who knows? I did uh, just look up. George Lucas directed Star Wars, then episode one, two, and three, and that's it. He never directed anything else. Those were his last four directorial um, jobs. Uh, Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Not really, but um, getting (laughs) through it. And I, I kind of, I think I was the only person who really liked episode three. I'm... But again, like yeah, they, you're starting me. to see they accomplish so much with practical effects in those movies on like a shoestring budget, literally using shoes as spaceships. Yes. And then in these, you can already see all of the green. It's just green screen. Right. And they still do that. That's one of the criticisms I have. Of the new show is they have uh, what do they call it? The egg or something stupid. It's their giant green screen stage. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when they're filming there versus when they're filming live because everything is so much more static. They, mm-hmm. they make fun of the prequels, rightfully so, because there's a lot of scenes of people just standing somewhere talking because they literally can't move. Hurting <laughs> yeah. in this because they'll they'll be off off the green screen. Mm-hmm. Like these these scenes that should be exciting or you know things happening. Like oh maybe they should run because they're gonna fight a, a Sith Lord, but nope, they have to walk very slowly. Because they're on a green screen, and why? 
Right, right. You're like you're walking down a hall. You you framed these giant massive space battles again with sneakers as spaceships in some cases. <laughs> yes. Practically, you know, 20 years before you made this, why all of a sudden can you not just build a hallway set? Mhm. I mean, he was he was playing with the new toys, you know. It was, it was like the dawn of CGI era. I think it was a uh, it was very interesting that that was like the biggest movie that year, of course, everyone was waiting for episode one. I remember before it came out how excited everybody was. And then the movie that won the best special effects that year was The Matrix beating out yeah. episode one. And, you know, that holds up. <laughs> the Matrix <laughs> you know? does hold up. It has a whole vibe. Yeah. The vibe of episode one is this sucks. <laughs> That's not a good sign. <laughs> All right. Well, let me talk about something that didn't suck. Uh, I watched Ed Wood, Tim Burton's maybe best movie. I'm not sure. Wow. 1994's Ed Wood. Are you a fan of that film? Have you seen it? I have not seen it. It's a. I still remember the very funny part. I think in the trailer of like, is there like a blimp or something that catches on fire? They're supposed to be filming a movie, and that's like the special effect. Maybe an airplane. I don't know. <laughs> a flying saucer. Oh, I remember. Maybe a flying saucer. Yeah, that like bursts into flames. Yep. So, uh, Ed Wood, the famous bad director from the fifties, um, and this movie is kind of showing that he's not a bad director. Sure, he made some bad movies, but he also had like a singular vision and had this attitude about you know let's get this misfit group of friends that I that I hang out with together and just make something, make some art together. And, and this movie really admires that about the character and mm-hmm. is not trying to make him look dumb, even though it does show his movies and how dumb they look, but you still get that vibe of um, that the movie's on his side. And like, you get excited when he manages to get some money together to make one of those movies with the dumb special effects, you know, uh, so essentially it's just about his life from the start of his film career until his big, you know, moment in the sun. Uh, but it's also about his friendship with Bella Lugosi played by Martin Landau. And that performance is really good. He won the Oscar, I believe for that one, but Martin Landau was addicted to drugs at the time. And Ed Wood was like his only friend and, uh, kind of helped him, get some semblance of a a life back just by putting him in these horrible movies. But I don't know. There's something so joyful about this one and the vibe, you know, the black and white photography and the kind of shot with these old lenses and special effects. It just looks so campy in fifties, just like the movies of Edward did. So I'm a fan of Edward movies. I've seen a couple and I'm a fan of Edward the biopic. Tim Burton's maybe best film. I'd recommend it. Cool. Is there anything else you want to talk about, my friend? No, that's that's pretty much uh, taken over my life, I guess. <laughs> All right, I'm going to talk about one more just to hit something weird. Let's see what's weird on my list here. There's a few. I'll talk about Hello Down There, 1969 directed by Jack Arnold. Hello Down There is a story of uh, Tony Randall and Janet Lee, Janet Lee these, this couple who 
go to live in an experimental underwater house with their children and their children's friends who are part of a band. One of them is Richard Dreyfus in like his first or second movie. He's really young. And it's just a kooky like 60s romp of this family living in this like kitschy underwater house and dealing with all the shenanigans that that involves. You got Roddy McDowell in it. Um, you got some weird funky music. Merv Griffin shows up. I don't know. It's it, Yeah. It was like, it, it's a pleasant diversion. It's not, it got some really good underwater photography too, of like sharks and things that terrorize the family. The house is very um, futuristic in quotes <laughs> for, for the time. It's got all these like automated things. It's a colorful film. I don't know if uh, I would I would call it a great or even a good film, but it was definitely a pleasant diversion. That's hello down there. Hello there. <laughs> yeah, the famous Ewan McGregor Star Wars line. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I think that's that's good enough for uh, for the banter before our main topic, Eric. Are you ready to jump into it? I'm ready for winter beasts, which do not take place in the winter, nor are they beasts. All right. Well, that is our topic. Winter Beast, 1992, directed by Christopher Thies. Over six years, Christopher Thies filmed this tale of a small Massachusetts mountain town being terrorized by an ancient evil. It's a tale of brave park rangers, monsters, gore, nudity, a creepy lodge owner, and it's all told in the wrong order, I think. I don't know what exactly is happening. Uh, which one is the Winter Beast? Beats me. Is there anything like this movie? Not quite. Did I like it? I have no idea. I liked it. <laughs> I also, I'm so glad you said that because I had no idea what the story of this movie was. Right. It's, it's, yeah. I had no idea what was going on. This was filmed. Did you say it in your intro over the course of seven years? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They, they thought it was going to take a weekend to film and it ended up taking seven years. And then I feel like they just cut it together as best they could, almost like a found footage movie and then mm-hmm. inserted the claymation in. And the claymation was without a doubt, the best part. I want to see a gritty Gumby reboot. That's a <laughs> horror movie. Yeah, the claymation was a lot of fun. Every time the monster showed up, which was just like out of nowhere sometimes. Yes. <laughs> and then the scenes would just end out of nowhere. Kind of like you're you're saying, like a fe- like they just inserted this in the middle of other stuff. Those were a lot of fun. Um, even I loved how they did not connect to the real footage. So you'd see someone like a real person being all scared and suddenly you cut to a monster holding a clay person. Yes, <laughs> I love the clay murder. <laughs> Claymation yeah. murder. It was great. Those parts. I just want to watch those parts. The rest mm. of it, I have no idea what was. My best guess is that the uh, the owner of the lodge. Yes. Creepy they they lodge make reference guy. to him trying to control these demons, which are some kind of Native American spirits. But it also seemed like at different parts, the Native American spirits were seeking revenge. Mm-hmm. on the white man but there was no no consistent thread that I, I i was like kept being like did i miss something i'm not gonna rewind <laughs> i agree it, it was definitely very confusing but let's let's try to break it down so it uh 
it opens um, with a like a weird dream sequence of a bunch of people getting murdered. Was, was that, that a dream? dream? I, I don't tell. know. <laughs> was, okay. Okay. Let, let's start. It starts with a guy who's got a scarred up face. Like yes. actually I had hope for a minute because he had like not horrible makeup done. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I don't know. There's a claymation creature. Um, and then it cuts to someone waking up and I'm like, wait, is he just the guy who got murdered by the claymation figure? Or is it, I, do you think it was the same guy? I think he was seeing the future. Like this was like a vision. That was what I thought. And I'm not so sure now. Um, Anyway, then then it cuts to the park ranger and uh, I guess a police officer. I wasn't sure who that guy was. I don't know who anyone in this movie (laughs) is besides the, the, I guess supposed to be city boy. Who's a park ranger. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's a lot of pornography immediately in the movie. <laughs> there not, is. Not, they are not, n- not sex scenes, but showing like nudie mags. This movie is rotten with breasts, beautiful breasts. The breasts are not rotten. They're just like <laughs> everywhere in this movie out of nowhere, usually right. in a magazine, but I think there may be one or two video scenes. Yep. It's yep. so weird. Yeah. And then that scene is just the park ranger talking about people missing or murdered. I, I still very confused, but it goes on for like 10 minutes of just them talking and it's clearly dubbed. So I think they might've filmed something completely different. And in the edit tried to make it into a story by re recording all this dialogue. I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was odd. Um, uh, there, there was a lot of homophobia in that, Oh yeah, yeah there scene. was just like, yeah. and not even like, okay, well it's late eighties, early nineties homophobia. This was outright like, no, you're gay. Mm-hmm. And how dare you? It was right. so, so odd. Right. Right. And then soon after that, there's a, the scene of the topless woman in the cabin who gets terrorized by a creature outside who pulls her outside the window in claymation style. And then I guess kills her. I don't know if that had anything to do with the plot or if it's just more, um, if it was gratuitous nudity yeah, and gore. Obviously never for established what the actual threat was. Like that guy in the scene prior, was mm-hmm. he reporting someone missing? Was he just talking about missing people? Right, right. The, the audience is left to make a lot of assumptions about what the plot of this movie is. After a while, I just gave up. And I did I give just, up very yeah. quickly because I was just like rooting for the next claymation or nonsensical violence. Right. Like they're in the lodge. This was one of my favorite parts of this movie, of which I had many favorite parts. <laughs> this absolutely stunningly bad movie. Uh-huh. Um, the the police officer goes and he's talking. I think this is the first conversation he has with the lodge owner, who's yes. like an elderly man, and he's just like you know, begging him to close the lodge. It's very jaws. Like I was thinking that yes, the cop wants to close the town down. And this guy who is he just the lodge owner? Is he the mayor? Like what is his position? I wasn't sure if he had authority or not. It was so, it was so vague. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So just go with it. So that happens, but then it cuts to like these two guys at a table 
And the first line from one guy is, I'm just trying to make a conversation. And the other guy says, well, you're doing a shitty job of it. And then there's a massive fist fight for no reason. (laughs) Where they're throwing each other through this cheap set dressing. And it's just Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, that was good. A movie stitched together through unrelated scenes. Right. Who knows what the original script was like, if there was one. Um. And then we get to the, I don't know if there's anything before the weirdest scene of the film, in my opinion, when you find out what's really going on with the lodge owner. That was my favorite. I said (laughs) that before, but that was my favorite scene. The lodge owner. First of all, uh, he finds a woman's body, right? Right before this. But you don't know it's him. There's another woman, not the one Mm. from before got killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she was killed by they switch back and forth between really horribly done humans in makeup. Like there's mm-hmm. a blue man, not oh, from yeah. the blue man group. Yeah. I forgot about these hikers around. that got killed. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and she gets killed. This woman, by the way, was in a scene with the deputy and it's unclear of what their relation is. She's just like a townsfolk, mm-hmm. but they're walking on the sidewalk. And he just says, hey, you, you're from around here, right? Like out of nowhere, (laughs) they have this conversation where she talks about Native American stuff. Um, But she's like, I'd like to think that she was not in the movie and it was just a random person walking by while they were filming. That would make it so much better. We need to make a movie like that where we just approach people and act as if they should know what we're talking about. Right. Um. But it just shows a hand like groping into her neck wounds for like oh, yeah. an uncomfortable amount of time. Yeah. And uh, it cuts to the old lodge owner walking up to a record player and putting on a weird song, which he starts to like sing and dance to. And it's clearly like a little boy's voice. Singing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's wearing a weird mask. He puts on the weird mask at the end, but it's a solid like minute or so of him like lip syncing to this song and doing a mm-hmm. weird little dance. So my, my thought was that he had that body in his, that was his hands in the neck wound. And that body was hidden in his lodge somewhere for whatever, for reasons unknown. But that was the same woman, wasn't it? That the, the yeah. park ranger I, was talking to. I think so. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> But then, uh, so the park ranger's friend or fellow park ranger, I'm not sure, is watching the old man do this. So we, they kind of know that he's evil. Why the old man is doing this is never really explained. He's just weird. He's just weird. He also has two corpses in that living room, which I was like, okay, is this psycho? Are those supposed to be his parents or something? Mm-hmm. And they are like clearly mummified corpses i believe right. there were two of them at one point he's like singing to them and <laughs> off the rails amazing loved it yeah yeah that that was wild so then uh the two heroes of the film confront the this was one of my favorite transitions they confront this lodge owner and the lodge owner kind of vaguely explains that he's been communicating with these spirits or something i wasn't i am not sure what was going on but he's in league with them and then his head catches on fire for no reason (laughs) yeah and then and then it explodes or something and then that's it and then the next scene is just those two guys talking on the phone like nothing happened 
<laughs> yeah, it's it, it's like uh, it, uh, it was so strange. Yes, when you make a movie over the course of seven years, you kind of forget the script. Yeah, right. I don't remember <laughs> what I ate for breakfast yesterday, so I, I guess uh, I empathize. Oh no, yeah, but you know what? You didn't film your breakfast and have access to it to kind of True. put it together True. into <laughs> into a story. <laughs> Uh, so after that scene, there's a bunch of uh, random stuff until the climax, I think, is the, the next interesting thing that happened, unless you remember something else. I don't remember how this movie ends. I'm not going to lie. I watched it last night, and I am I pretty much blacked out after the, uh, the singing scene. The The ending is with that, that humanoid monster, which I don't know if that's the Winter Beast. Uh, and it's the two guys Maybe are we're all winter beasts. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> uh, the two guys are being chased by this thing. And then they have a standoff where they are able to kill it by killing the mask or the, that's right. He shoots the mask with a flare gun. Yes. And that remember... guy is also a random person. He's not another deputy. He's another person whose relationship to everything else is unclear. Right. Yeah. The only one I knew who it was the lodge owner was owned the lodge and the park ranger was a park ranger. Otherwise I didn't know anything. Yeah. We and sat even, through like 82 minutes of this and I had no idea what happened. Right. <laughs> it is definitely one of those bad movies. That's fun to watch. I had a great time watching this movie. I was confused as hell. But if you just wait for the claymation scenes to kick in, it's very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And even some of the other live action scenes are very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Just in their oddity. Did you catch the dildo? No. So I was reading some reviews that mentioned that there's a dildo that shows up next to the Native American artifact in an extended shot. I didn't notice it, <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, I escaped my gaze this time, but perhaps <laughs> next time I'll be able to find the dildo. <laughs> so um, I watched it on YouTube. Did you watch a better copy? I watched it on YouTube as well. Yeah, this was so claustrophobic. It, it was a poor quality VHS rip, and it was dark. And the way it was filmed on, with the camera not moving much in the indoor scenes. and There the, are, yes. We should talk about the lack of cuts. Mm-hmm. it's so jarring when you're used to even like the subconscious language of film, I guess of mm-hmm. how things are filmed. And there's like a, a standard way of shooting scenes where, you know, you generally have like a mid shot and then you'll cut to people for close-ups or sometimes reactions, you know, right. usually it's the speaker talking and it's kind of shot. Uh, this was basically all medium and long shots and a very rare close-up. Right. I don't know why this movie took so long to film. <laughs> that is true. It's like they filmed like one minute uh, uh, every weekend. You know? They had one camera set up. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like, okay, that's the scene. And none of the scenes are like particularly hard. There's not a whole lot of choreography. Mm-hmm. There's, there's nothing here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, claymation the was the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think if I remember right from reading on IMDb, that was just like the producer did the 
he had a job at an animation studio or something, and he was just doing the claymation on his free time and cutting it in. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Um, but you mentioned that this is the only credit for basically everybody in the movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is uh, telling, <laughs> you know, this is definitely a passion project that they did for fun. Or I can't picture this being something they're like, let's invest our energy in to make money. (laughs) I don't want to insult any of the movies we made in our twenties by comparing it to this, Mm -hmm. but this was like way worse than even in death or any of the very short horror. We, we went through a claymation phase. I shouldn't say we, cause I was just kind of in them every now and then (laughs) it was really more you and Eddie, but yeah. Yeah. They're they're on, they are on the internet for any listeners who want to go watch them. Check out proleary.com for links. <laughs> um, but yeah, you yeah. See me make a cameo and they play the Alfred Hitchcock theme. It's pretty great. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yep. So Winter Beast. It's one of those movies that's very hard for me to rate. I watched it by myself. I felt like my eyes hurt afterwards just from trying to engage with it with such poor quality of filming it really the claustrophobia the the actual vhs quality not good on my eyes it was yeah shot on a mixture of eight millimeter and 16 millimeter transferred (laughs) to vhs and then transferred probably to another vhs and then transferred to youtube and i don't think i'm exaggerating there i definitely remember reading an imdb that it was shot on 16 and 8 millimeter Mm -hmm. which why would you do that because you can't edit those together you have to then transfer to vhs and if this was made in the 80s you could have just shot on vhs from the get-go well we we can't get inside christopher thee's head and know um who knows if you make a movie for seven years you know you start thinking one thing and things change funds and availability and your camera breaks and who knows who knows yeah uh, so this movie is very hard to rate because uh, it's one of those bad movies that's fun to watch. So, But it wasn't like it didn't hit me like The Room or something like that, where which I loved, loved. So I'm probably at like a two stars. Yeah, that seems pretty generous. I don't know. I would guess, yeah, maybe one and a half to two stars just for that weird singing scene and the claymation. Yeah, yeah. As a movie by itself, it's a half star movie, but your my enjoyment brings it up, you know, gives yeah. it another star, star and a half. I mean, I think uh, for technical achievement outside of claymation, this is a zero star movie. Yes, agreed. <laughs> this is the movie I imagine. Like, if you read a lot of interviews with uh, filmmakers, you'll you'll find out they were obsessed with film from a young age and they were making their family make movies when they were like four years old. This Mm -hmm. is what I imagine those movies are probably like only they were made by, this was made by adults. I've seen like short films by like Peter Jackson, for example, that was like better than this. And he made it when he was, you know, 10 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that is the vibe of this movie. Yeah. Somebody took those movies that like a six year old film obsessed kid made and they were not supposed to be one movie, but they had all this footage and they're like, I'll just throw it together and see what I can do. And maybe I can do some claymation in between. Yeah. That'll work. Hey, I might do it with our old footage that we do shot. It, yeah. <laughs> Link in the description below. Yes. 
So, Eric, do you want to talk about your movie first? Yeah, this got me in the mood uh, for another horror movie with weird special effects. I had never seen this movie before, Mm -hmm. but I'd always heard it was kind of a ripoff of Gremlins, which is one of my favorites. I watched Ghoulies. Ghoulies. I don't think I've ever seen Ghoulies. Yeah, it's the one you might know. The uh, it's got this famous iconic kind of shot. Yeah, on the, the box the toilet. cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Uh, I definitely, have, you know, heard about it, just never seen it. Uh, by Luca Bercovici. I, I, well, I guess I don't really care if I'm saying it right. That's how I'm going to say it. <laughs> Written and directed. Uh, a young man and his girlfriend move into an old mansion home where he becomes possessed by a desire to control ancient demons. It opens with this classic like satanic panic scene, which I I think this is probably the beginning of that whole wave in the eighties where everyone was afraid that, uh, you know, listening to heavy metal and playing D and D was going to lead to like the rise of Satan. And it was this real fear among suburbanites. And this played right into it. It's like the most stereotypical scene of dudes wearing robes. Uh, I think the head sorcerer has goat horns. Uh, There's like just pentagrams and candles and incense in this incredibly claustrophobic set that looks like a basement. Um, You can practically like smell this movie because there's so much smoke and incense everywhere. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's a baby sacrifice. Oh, obviously. And they don't do it. So, it cuts from this scene. They, they're trying to like summon Satan, I guess, or do something. It's not really sure what the the actual point of the ritual is. Uh, but a woman objects because she's like, you promised me there would be no no baby sacrifice. Uh, so they sacrifice her instead. Um, and then, you know, it cuts to like this weird voiceover of I thought I saved the child because one of the male cult members leaves with the boy. And then it's him inheriting the house after the sorcerer died off screen, I guess, in the intervening 20 Mm -hmm. years. Um, So he's like this young couple. There's a weird grave on the property. Uh, They're at this mansion where presumably you would assume that's where the the satanic ritual was taking place in the beginning. Uh, the male lead finds a strange locked chest in the basement and he becomes obsessed with all of the books. And like you see the outfit that the sorcerer guy was wearing in the first scene. Um, and it just kind of unravels. And it's a really, really fun movie. It's disappointing in that I was expecting to see the ghoulies, which are these like, they look so wet. They are <laughs> these little tiny creatures that look kind of like animals. Some of them look like they're like a, reptilian and some of them are mammals but they all look wet like these diseased rodents or something like that um Mm -hmm. like splinter got his ass kicked by the ninja turtles (laughs) uh and they don't really do anything until the end so i guess to, to really speed the plot up they decide to have a housewarming party um and they get bored. There's a dance off. It's like this very 80s break dancing. There's a white guy who I thought might be Martin Mull for about two minutes. <laughs> uh, turns out it's just a generic white dude from the 80s. Mariska Hargitay is in this movie. She's oh, a very wow. minor character. She's not even the main interest. Um, I'm sorry, the main love interest. She's 
just one of the random friends who's hooking up with the weird guy because it's the 80s. So, of course, there's a weird socially inept guy who's right, part right. of his friends. Uh, so they get bored. There's nothing to do after this dance off. I guess they're exhausted from breakdancing everywhere. So he's like, why don't we do a ritual? And it fails. <laughs> why not? And people just make fun of him and they leave the basement. But then this mist rises and there's this little ghoulie summons to the circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he just like continues to, to spiral out of control. Uh, he decides not to go back to college. They're supposed to be in college, but they look like they're about 30. Uh, and he's like, you know, I really want to set this house up. Uh, I want us to have a family someday. So I have to fix this mansion, which is in very like the money pit level of disrepair. He gives his live in girlfriend this amulet to, quote, protect her from everything, uh, which is not jarring at all. Kind of like Winter Beast. Yeah. (laughs) He just goes and summons a bunch of like these tiny little demons to be his pets. He's like he gives them this ultimatum like you're my pets now. You can wander around the property, but only I can see you. Um, His girlfriend comes home and it is full on raining and storming in his basement. There's like lightning striking inside of his house. And she's just like, you've changed and I don't like it. It is so (laughs) ludicrous. So ludicrous. They get into a fight and she tries to leave him, but he mind controls her or something. It's it's a this is less about the ghoulies than I thought that that's my big complaint is that um, eventually he summons these two up until this point. All of the ghoulies are these weird, like little gremlin kind of lizards or mammalian kind of Mm -hmm. tiny demons. But then he, he has this one summoning and it's these two people. They're just they're dwarfs. They are mm-hmm. little people. I'm not sure what the proper term is, so I apologize if I use something offensive. Uh, but they are two little people who can talk. And he's like, how do I get the most power or whatever? So he has to have a ritual. So he has another dinner party after he mind controls his girlfriend to stay with him. Wow. Yeah, they do this other ritual and they end up resurrecting the original owner of the house. And now the ghoulies finally do stuff and they start killing people. But it's only it almost reminded me of Hellraiser, which mm-hmm. I haven't seen in a while. But the Cenobites aren't really in the first one. Everybody knows the Cenobites from Hellraiser. But the first right. movie, they're not in it for a large chunk of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's they're... very much like that. And once okay. the ghoulies are around killing people, it gets a lot more fun. But it's probably only like the last half hour or so. Okay. Is it is the uh, when the ghoulies kill people? How are the effects? Is it a? It's mostly off screen, which is disappointing. Oh, okay. But I still really enjoyed the vibes of this movie. It was like low budget eighties horror. Um, there was a really cool scene. So they do the second ritual in the house, uh, which is just kind of like standard fare. Um, but he, he ends up hypnotizing all the guests with a weird toast. So they'll help him perform this ritual because he needed a certain number of people there. And then at the end of this ritual, he snaps his fingers and they're all like immediately back at the dinner party. Like, wait, what just happened? Because they don't remember anything. It was just a cool, cool transition. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, ghoulies. It sounds like it would be fun to watch at like a horror thon. Uh, and I gonna, think there are at out. least four of them. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I started the second one. It's on a DVD I got from not my library, unfortunately, but another one. Um, and when you search Ghoulies. Yeah, there's at least four. There's Ghoulies 2 and then Ghoulies Go to College, which I really want to see. Because they all keep that same toilet motif uh, of like these little creatures coming out of the toilet. Yeah, I can see and the Ghoulies poster. Go to College, they're wearing the cap and gowns and it looks Flipping amazing. Oh man. Well, you, you maybe you uh maybe you should do this instead of Star Wars. I mean I can do both. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I would recommend it. I would give it uh I mean strictly on kind of like nostalgia for a movie that I haven't seen, but just that style of eighties low budget horror, uh I would give it a solid three. Okay. Cool. All right. So for my movie, I decided to stick with uh, low budget regional horror where everyone who was in or made the movie only made that one movie. That is a very specific <laughs> micro genre. And also has claymation and stop motion. And that movie is called Mutilations from 1987, directed by Lawrence Thomas. And it is about a high school science teacher who studies astronomy. And after a UFO sighting in the area, this is filmed in Wisconsin, in in the farmland, um, he takes his students and his secretary over to investigate uh, and maybe learn about, you know, what this thing was. Turns out they're aliens who are mutilating cows, turning them inside out and eating them alive, and then also hunting down the humans and killing them. And apparently this has been happening since the 40s, uh, according to an old farmer. Um, But we just follow this group of people as they figure out what's going on and get hunted down by aliens until a pretty good climax happens. Now, I will say this movie is only 65 minutes long, It's also available on YouTube and it is there's some money behind this one. There's some money. There's some intention after watching winter beast. This was like, wow, I can tell what's happening. There's a story here. There's characters that are horrible, horrible actors, but at least what they're saying makes sense, you know, and the effects come at an appropriate time in the story. And the direction has, they're trying to do things. They got the camera moving. They got cool lighting. They got like, uh, you know, close-ups and, and, and um, different angles and just things that are more interesting to look at visually. Even if they don't work, the, they're definitely trying to do things. The shots of like the countryside and um, the sets that they built have really good lighting. Even though I'm watching a VHS rip, I can tell that Whoever did the cinematography uh, did a decent job. Actually, I'm going to look up the cinematographer right now to see if he did anything else. He did, actually. He's still working. (laughs) So he uh, is a cinematographer that made the the making of uh, Avatar 2. So good for him. (laughs) He did the making of the making of Avatar 2. (laughs) <laughs> it's called Inside Pandora's Box. 
That sounds like a porno. <laughs> a series of featurettes on the challenges faced in cast and crew as filmmakers devise new technologies to push the limits of cinema. Anyway, so yeah, I guess that cinematographer knew what they knew what he was doing. Got got some real jobs, and you can tell in this movie. You can also tell, like I said, that they had money to spend. They just really did not spend it on the actors. The actors were horrible. I hate to speak ill of them because the movie's very charming and I liked all the people in it, but they were bad actors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's like some movies like you enjoy making fun of the people because it's just so bad. It gets you angry. This was bad, but also had moments of like sunshine that, you know, something good that made you want to like it. The alien stop motion was pretty good. It was gory. Um, they, the connection of the stop motion and the and the live action footage was not good, but at least they tried. Unlike Winter Beast, where it just cut from one to the other, this had some composite shots of people like fighting giant stop motion creatures. So, overall, I really did enjoy this one, especially at sixty five minutes. I mean, it it flew by and it made Perfect sense. Perfect length of time for a mil- movie. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why they don't make more 60-minute movies. It's really a good time limit. It's kind of like the novella length. Yeah, yeah. Like a short film, you figure, is probably going to be like half hour, maybe 40 minutes at the outset. Mm -hmm. Feature film, you're looking at generally 90-ish plus, Mm -hmm. sometimes in the 80s. But, you know, I could go for a 60-minuter every now and then. Yeah, exactly. It's like, especially for a movie so thin on plot, where just some people who found aliens who are trying to kill them. I don't like it when movies purposely stretch out to be 90 minutes, you know, and you've seen a bunch. I know where it's like this movie is 90 minutes because they, you know, they added five minutes opening scene that they didn't need, or they stretched out this other things just so they can have a marketable 90 minute movie. And sometimes that's okay. Like if your five minute scene is like a setup and it's a cool five minute setup of people you'll never see again. Like horror movies are perfect for that where you have to see like mm-hmm. somebody getting brutally murdered to learn about like, Oh, okay. That that's the kind of movie I'm going to watch. Yep. But yep. if they're just thrown in there just to add five minutes to a movie, like right. just don't n- know the story you're trying to tell exactly. and know what it needs. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's only 65 minutes. Yeah, and that's what I really admire about mutilations. Uh, You know, from the first time I saw the inside-out cow that was writhing on the ground in claymation, I was hooked. I was like, this is going to be a fun movie. So I'm going to give this one three stars. Yeah, that was a really great quote, by the way. That's what I really love about mutilations. (laughs) Yeah, yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, take that out of context. Also, I if you could tell me what the poster is, you win. If you ever look at the mutilations poster, is it on Letterboxd? Yeah, it is. Yes. Um, I had no idea what it was until I watched the movie. I'm like, this is a horrible poster. <laughs> mutilations, 1987. Well, okay. I think the claw is just coming out of a rip in space. Yeah, I guess. I guess you can. I guess you got it. All right, you win. It's not that difficult. yeah i don't know it just it just kind of looks like shapes when i glance at it but yeah when i study it you're right okay (laughs) all right well that's mutilations 
give it a watch if you're interested in that type of movie. So, Eric, I think we did it. I think it's time for us to pick another movie. This time, from it's my on. watch list. Let's Your see what watch you got. List. You're gonna, you're gonna say a movie, and I predictably will be like, I have no idea what that is. I think you might have heard of this one. Maybe you don't I know it was on your watch list. To my watch list and put stuff on it because I this don't know. movie is- was made in 1990. Stars Christian Slater. It is Pump Up the Volume. Oh yeah, I have never seen that. Me neither. Me neither. And I just noticed it on HBO Max. So I am excited. This movie, I think I saw part of it on TV when I was younger, because I have a vague memory of it. Um, and I always thought it was a cool premise. about. I don't a, even remember the premise. I'm assuming he's a DJ of some kind. Yeah, he starts a pirate radio, like an illegal radio, and it starts getting some traction, and then the authorities come after him. So, Oh, yeah, I'm going to read this because that's awesome. Mark Hunter, the lonely high school student, uses a shortwave radio to moonlight as the popular pirate DJ, Hard Harry. <laughs> That's it. That's all I want to read about it. Hard Harry. I mean, it's not the first movie you've watched with that character in it. <laughs> it certainly isn't. <laughs> so I'm excited. This is a fun pick. A fun pick after watching a bunch of like really low-budget, poorly-made movies. Hopefully this is better. Yeah, I uh, Christian Slater might be my dark spot because I have not seen a lot of his classic films. Heather's? Have you seen Heather's? I have not seen Heather's. I have not seen Interview with a Vampire. I'm just looking through his mm-hmm. letterboxed. True Romance, Nymphomaniac 1 or 2. <laughs> uh, what's the other really this. big one from the 80s? Gleaming the Cube. Never saw it. Oh, the skateboarding one. Something about skateboarding, yeah. He's got a fun... Uh, oh, Mindhunters. That was a fun movie. I forgot he was in that. Yeah, he's got a fun filmography. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Such Sights to See, along with my other projects, can be found on ProLeary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.